You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. that you would bless me so much? Who am I that you would do these things for me? And God blessed them over and over and over again. But David got lackadaisical. When we we lower our guard, temptation comes in. When we fail to put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for temptation. We're setting ourselves up to be attacked by the devil, by by Satan himself. Those who climb the highest have the farthest to fall. David is one of the most revered men in the Old Testament. Most Christian men aspire to be like him in some way. Yet, as Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, this giant slayer was only human, and when he allowed his faith and devotion to wane, he quickly fell. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, as he begins his message, Oh, how the might have fallen. Second Samuel 11, so if you will turn into your Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. From here on, 2 Samuel takes a dark turn. 2 Samuel takes a dark turn from here on. If you've been with us and you've been reading ahead, you know that David has been riding high. David has had success after success after success, and he's been riding high. He was at the pinnacle of his life. Things were great. The Lord had blessed him greatly, telling him that his seed would last forever, that someone would sit on his throne forever and ever, which meant the Messiah, and David understood that. The Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. He had given him rest. The Lord had used him to restore Israel to one nation under God. He used him to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines back into Jerusalem where it belonged in the hands of the Israelites. The Lord had given him a gift of music. The Lord had given him a gift of music. He played instruments. We're thinking it was a harp. It could have been one of those lute or or, or other things. I don't know what he played. The Lord gave him a gift of words. He was a writer. He was a poet. And he wrote psalm after psalm. David, name, his name was great throughout all the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, I'll turn there for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, specifically in verse 12, we read this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The one who thinks he can stand strong on his own won't guard himself against temptation. So you fall easily. Those who think they stand strong are the most vulnerable. When you think you've got it made in the Lord, when you think that everything's going great and maybe even you had something to do with it, you're setting yourself up for failure. How can I say this? Well, we see in our scriptures that David gets lackadaisical. He kind of 
Rest on his laurels, so to speak. And this is a dangerous place to be. This is a dangerous place to be when this happens. John, in his first epistle, in 1 John 2.16, calls this the pride of life. When your life is so good, remember, just four chapters ago, four chapters ago, God had given David the ultimate blessing. He had given David the ultimate blessing and said that out of you, the Messiah will come, the one we're waiting for. And remember David's response? Who am I? Who am I that you would bless me so much? Who am I that you would do these things for me? And God blessed them over and over and over again. But David got lackadaisical. When we, when we lower our guard, temptation comes in. When we fail to put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for temptation. We're setting ourselves up to be attacked by the devil, by, the, by Satan himself. Guzik said this, quote, Temptation works like a rocks in the harbor. When tide is low, everybody sees the dangers and avoids it. But Satan's strategy in temptation is to raise the tide and to cover the dangers of temptation. Then he likes to crash you upon the covered rocks. Unquote. This is what happened to David. David was riding high. Everything was going his way. Take heed, David. Take heed, David. But he did not. As we begin chapter 11, David is about to fall and fall hard. His life will never be the same after this. His life will never be the same. And although he will know God's presence, and although he will know God's forgiveness, because of what's going to happen in chapter 11, he will suffer greatly. And he will suffer the rest of his days. What I like about the Bible, one of the things, one of the many things I like about the Bible is it always tells the truth about people. The Bible doesn't gloss over and make all these mighty men of God seem like they're superheroes, seem like they don't slip, like they don't fall. I mean, look at it. Noah was a man of faith. Noah was a man of obedience. But the last time you see him, he's drunk in a tent lying there naked. Abraham lies twice about his wife. She's my sister, trying to save his own neck. Jacob lied to his father Isaac, and he lied to his brother Esau. Moses got angry and struck the rock a second time when the Lord told him to speak to the rock. Peter, Peter denied Christ three times. So these great men of faith, these men that we study, these men that we look at, and, 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 and sometimes we even idolize them, oh, to be that way. They all had failures in their lives. And this should give us great encouragement. And this should give us great encouragement because they were more, but mere mortal men. They were mere mortal men trying to do the best they can for their God. The higher the pinnacle of the blessing, the higher the authority, the higher the publicity, the greater and more violent the fall. It's sad. We must ever be careful. We must be like Peter, James, and John. Oh, shouldn't, we shouldn't be like Peter, Jesus, James, and John. We should follow Jesus' advice to Peter, James, and John in the garden. Can't you pray lest you fall into temptation? They didn't. They fell asleep. They didn't pray. But while the focus in chapter 11 is on David's sin, and I will not minimize his sin, it is great. And the consequences are even greater I don't want to miss the point. A greater point in this section of the book, as we go through this section of the book, we will find 
that God's amazing grace is greater than David's sin. God's amazing grace is able to restore David, is able to bring him back into right standing with him. And yes, David's sin was great, but God's grace was greater. And I love that. I love that about my Father in heaven. I love that about my heavenly Father. That if I turn to him and come to him and repent and and ask his forgiveness, he will accept me and, and bring me in and back into the fold. He won't negate the consequences. No, he won't negate the consequences. But he will love you. David, we know, God says of him, the man after his own heart. A man after his own heart. So we can learn a lot from this. We can learn a lot from this. And we see what God accomplishes even in the life of a sinner like David. And we also see a progression of David's sin. It did not happen all at once. This sin did not happen all at once. Little by little, it crept in as David was disobedient to God's word. David's temptation and this sin illustrate perfectly what James is talking about. James 1 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death, Paul says. So as we look now to this beautiful passage, and it is beautiful, and we can learn a lot of it, we'll begin with verse 1 to 2a. Chapter 11, verse 1 to 2a. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rebah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from a bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. The background can be found in chapter 10 when Joab lays siege to the Ammonite city of Rabbah. David sent his troops to Rabbah, but for some reason, he stayed behind. When it says, when all the kings go to war, so it must have been in the early spring, the winter rains and and the winter cold has stopped, and they held war in the summertime, in the springtime, because they didn't want to slosh through the elements. But David stayed home when his troops went to war. Now at this time, it is believed that David was some 50 years old. He was 50 years old. But see, idleness for the Christian is always dangerous. Idleness is dangerous. Someone describe it this way, quote, Idleness isn't just the absence of activity, for we all need regular rest. Idleness is also activity with no purpose. Interesting, unquote. So instead of being with his troops, instead of being out in front of his troops with his men, all right, they were laying siege to a city. What could he do? Joab had everything under control. He was the great general. David could have been there for moral support. David could have been there to encourage the troops. David should have been there. He should have been there. It was his to do. So instead of being there, he's alone in the palace, and right away you see danger happening. So after David's nap, he should have immediately attended to the business of the kingdom. I'm sure if he went into his office, there were piles and piles of things that he had to sign and things to do, like my office. If he got in there, he probably couldn't find himself for all the papers that he had to sign. But instead, he takes a stroll on the roof, alone. It's interesting that we like to take a day off. Satan never takes a day off. Satan never takes a day off. If David had his attention where God wanted it, 
He would never put it in a place where God didn't want it to be. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David takes a stroll on the roof of the palace and sees this woman bathing. Scripture says she was beautiful to behold. So at the beginning, we talked about 1 John 2.16, lust of the pride of life. And now we see lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes. David looks down upon her, and he gazes at her, and he looks, and he looks, and he looks, and he can't turn away. He sees his beautiful women. Temptation never comes by someone who we would consider ugly. I used to tell my kids in school this when they would have these things, and, and they would talk about this. I would say, let me tell you something. Not many people have been turned on by the Wicked Witch of the West in, in, in Wizard of Oz. Most people have been afraid of. And when the, when, the, when the witch, ugly witch from Snow White comes to give the apple, nobody's going, ooh, that babe's hot. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. But, the, but Satan comes as what? An angel of light. He comes as an angel of light, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It's so easy for all of us, including Christians, to be taken by the image and outward appearances. Many will recognize evil openly as it declares itself evil. But this approach that Satan has is kind of roundabout. It's, in, it's embracing Satan himself. And Satan transforms himself in this angel of light, an angel of mercy. You look at that and go, oh, yeah. If Satan were to appear before a human audience, they would strongly be tempted to worship him. Why? Because he's beautiful. Because he's beautiful, according to Scripture. He's regarded as an angel of light. But David paused little longer than he should have to look at this woman. She was taking a shower, taking a bath. Many believed that she was probably naked. And this allowed his imagination to go wild. And it went into overdrive. David was not a Joseph. Although David probably had read about Joseph in the scriptures. When Joseph went into Potiphar's wife, she wanted to lay with him. And he bolted. He, re, he ran, ran so fast that she took his coat and held it as he ran away. Look at verse 3. So David went and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David, a man after God's own heart, is now succumbing to the temptation. He takes the next step. He beheld her. He looked at her, and a desire started to come in to himself. He inquires about the woman. Someone tells him that she's married. He disregards the fact that, he's mar that she's married, and he should have stopped right there in his tracks. But he kept going. And here is the third thing in 1 John 2.16. Lust of the flesh. So he had the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, all happening here in David. And he's on dangerous footing about this woman. Unfortunately, David's heart had already taken possession of her. David's heart has already taken possession of her, and he was in a free fall, and he couldn't stop. Look at 4a. Then David sent messengers and took her. David sends these messengers to take her. Now, some people say, well, why didn't she resist? In those days, when a king called you, you didn't resist. Saying no to a king was paramount to treason, and you could lose your head. You didn't, you didn't say no to kings. So he called her. Plus, I don't think Bathsheba knew what he was calling her for. Some believe that she was kind of involved in all this. Some believe that she was kind of a little 
tricky with him. But that doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible, so we can't say anything about that. David satisfies the thought in his head, and he was already guilty according to what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. David was already guilty. He was already guilty. Plus, his, his cover was blown. Everybody knew about it. He wasn't doing this on the sly. Everybody knew about it. The messengers knew about it. The guards knew about it. I mean, it's pretty tough to keep a secret in a palace like that. But I want to make a point here. The sin of David did not happen overnight. Yes, he did walk along the, 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 the uh, rooftop. Yes, he did see this woman bathing. Yes, she was extremely beautiful. Yes, he was enticed to her. But David had a propensity towards sex. He had a propensity towards sex. This encounter with Bathsheba was just the cultivating result of everything that had happened. How can I say that? Well, remember 20 years ago in 1 Samuel 25 and, and lately in 2 Samuel 5, David took wives, remember? He collecting wives for himself, which was against Deuteronomy 17. God told kings were not to collect wives. They were not to collect horses. And it's interesting to me that after you, we read, if you, don't, if you don't remember reading it, go back and check later. We read in, in chapter 10 that when they did capture horses, they hamstrung them. David didn't take the horses, but he took wives. So he was already in bed with God. He was already in sin. He began a path that would lead him to this day and conclude with the adultery. And unfortunately, it concluded with murder. Guzik says again, corrupt seed sown long ago is now bearing bitter fruit. So do the flesh, so do the spirit. You're going to get fruit from each one. One is an extremely bitter fruit. The other one is a spiritual fruit of joy and all the fruit that you know, love, peace. Sin does not happen. There's constant, it just doesn't happen overnight. Don't wake up one day and go, I think I'll go sin. It doesn't happen that way. This type of sin doesn't happen that way. It starts with compromise. It starts with compromise. You start compromising here, you start compromising there, and pretty soon you're in a, in a situation that you don't know what to do. We compromise God's word. We think we can handle all situations. David saying home from the battle provided the opportunity for this bitter seed to blossom. He was disobeying God's word, completely disregarding God's word. Look at 4b to 5. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurities, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. By the way, that's the only time you hear Bathsheba speak, is when she says, I am with child. So she just finished her menstrual cycle. She just finished her impurities, and she knew she was fertile. But David took her and he lay with her. They had intercourse. He laid with her and she becomes pregnant. Again, many scholars believe that Bathsheba was a willing participant in this drama, but the Bible doesn't say so. Even if it does, her lack of discretion does not justify David's actions. Doesn't justify David's actions. And you notice God is never mad at Bathsheba, although the child will die. He's never mad at Bathsheba per se. The woman is brought to David. One commentator said this, Scripture places the entire blame on David. 
it does not implicate Bathsheba at all. Before the king, she was obliged to yield. And in a few moments, this great man of God blackened his, not only his character, he imperiled not only his kingdom, he dishonored the name of God, and he caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme him. See all those things that happened because of indiscretion? Bathsheba comes to David and says, I'm pregnant. So now that David's into this, now he's into this mindset, he starts to devise a plan. Oh, well, let's cover it up. Let's cover it up. His son Solomon would write in Proverbs, he who seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin, he shall be forgiven. David sought to cover his sin first by sending for Uriah that was fighting, who was fighting with Joab. Let's read 6 through 8. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how people were doing and how the war was prospering. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. So he brings Bathsheba's husband back from the front line. He brings, her back from the, he brings him back from the front line. His goal is to get him to go down and have relations with his wife so that they can blame the pregnancy on him. That's his goal. That's his plan. It's a plan of deception. So look at the sins that are starting to mount up for David. Look at the sins that are starting to mount up for him. He's really into it now. And this is what happens. And I think some of us get caught up with sin and we go, well, we're in it this far. We might as well just jump into it head first. Well, David not only jumped into it head first, he's all the way down. He's under it. If you could get Uriah to sleep with his wife, their pregnancy instead of his. So he orders Uriah to come home. And then he orders him to go to the house. Let's read verses 9 through 13. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. This is a noble man. Uriah is a noble man. We'll talk about that in a minute. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Listen to Uriah's remark. And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will do nothing. This, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the day and the next. I think I'm supposed to read 13 too. Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he, that's David, made him drunk. At, at the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Uriah is one noble man. You are a sure.
The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness. David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.